Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. If you have ever gone through a season where you have been relentlessly attacked, then you know how draining that can be. So it could be an unreasonable boss, and just day after day, you're going into work, and the expectations are up here, and nobody can really reach them, and for some reason, he or she just seems to have it in for you. Um, It could be a a family member who is just relentlessly critical. And so you know anytime you show up to a family gathering, they're going to drop some comment to you that you're just not really wanting to hear. Or anytime you see their their name come up on your phone, you're like dreading answering, yeah, I'm just going to let it go to voicemail, see what they had to say this time. So sometimes we feel attacked by people, but it's not always just people. Sometimes it's circumstances, and it feels like circumstances just keep coming at you one after the other, and it's almost beyond just like this random set of things happening. It's like someone is orchestrating things against you. I I remember a number of of years ago, it's been, been a while ago now, I remember I was going through one of those seasons, and I remember saying to a friend, I feel like God's hand is against me right now. I look back at that now and I say, I was definitely misinterpreting that situation because I can see now that God was actually protecting me in in that situation. But if if you're in a situation today and you're feeling attacked either by a person that you can name or kind of this intangible enemy, then you're, you're in the right place because we're gonna look this morning at a real life situation with a a person who responded well to those kind of attacks, and he's gonna model for us how we can respond as well. If you would take a Bible and turn with me to 1 Samuel 19. That's where we're gonna be as we continue this series on the life of David, and we called it Beloved because the name David means beloved, Kind of like that myself. Um, We're studying this fascinating drama between a king that God has rejected and the king that God has appointed to replace him. And so King Saul is the king that has been rejected. He's in this downward spiral of jealousy and paranoia. And last week we saw several attempts for him to get rid of David. Those attempts are going to intensify today. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 19. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. All right, let's pause there, because last week, if you were here, we saw that Saul's attempts on David's life were kind of subtle. They, They were sneaky. They were in the background. He was basically putting David in situations where he was kind of likely to get killed. 
Now he's not being sneaky anymore. He's just being out with it. Uh, he's just being clear. He, he tells his son and his other servants, if you see David, you should kill him. So David's got a mark on his, on his head. We, we've said before, this doesn't make any sense because David has been nothing but loyal to Saul. And so Saul is clearly not thinking clearly. Fortunately, his son, Jonathan, has a clearer head. So, so verse 1, second half of verse 1, Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So Jonathan makes this reasonable appeal to Saul. He says, Dad, remember what David has accomplished. I mean, he, he did something amazing. Remember, 40 days of standoff between the Philistine army and the, the Israelites, and David steps forward against this giant and slays him. And, and so Jonathan's like, remember what David accomplished. He's only ever been loyal to you. And so he makes this reasonable appeal, and Saul is placated for a moment. Um, but as we read through this chapter, we'll read through the entire chapter 19 here today, we're going to see seven attempts on David's life. God is going to deliver David every time, which I realize is kind of a spoiler. Okay, it kind of takes away some of the tension. But I want you to be watching for a pattern, and that is this. No attack can succeed against God's defenses. So remember, there is a calling on David's life. God has specifically pointed him out to be the next king. And so God is not going to let anyone or anything thwart that, that plan. But we should, we should realize this. When Samuel put oil on David's head, it was also like he was putting a target on David's back. So the same is true for, for us when we are aligned with God's plan for our life. So I know many of you serve in, in ways both inside our walls and outside our walls in the community. You, you're seeking to, to forward God's kingdom, to seeking to use your gifts that God has given you, and you're, you're wanting to be a light in our community, which is desperately needed. Well, we have an enemy that does not want the light of Christ 
inside of these walls or outside of our walls. And he's going to do everything he can to disrupt it. So if you are on mission with God, you can know that you have a target on, on your back. And it, and it doesn't even have to be specifically about ministry or serving. It can be about raising your, your family. Uh, in the first service this morning, we did a, a child dedication for, for the Allers family, for little, little Theo, who just turned one year old. And as I'm praying over that family, I'm, I'm thinking there, there are so many forces at work in our world today to try to pull families apart, to try to destroy families, because God designed the family to be the, the bedrock, to be the building block of our society and our, our culture. It's the way we bring children into the world and bring them up. And so God's desire is that we as parents would train our children to carry on the faith. Well, we have an enemy that does not want that to happen. So he's trying to pull marriages apart. He's trying to keep parents from focusing on their spiritual leadership role to bring their, their children up. You should know if you're trying to raise a family in this culture that you have a target on, on your back. If you're seeking to overcome an addiction in your life, then what you're trying to do, what you're working to do is to get free from something so that you can give more of yourself to do what God's purpose is for, for your life. The enemy doesn't want you to succeed at that. He wants to keep you enslaved to gambling or pornography or shopping or whatever it happens to be that's controlling you. He wants to keep you there. Because it's sapping your energy, it's draining your, your energy. And if you say, I'm going to declare war on this in my life, then you should know he's going to declare war on you. When we're on target with God's purpose, you have a target on you. David did. And Saul targets David a second time. Verse 8. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Saul sees David's success yet again, and a harmful spirit comes on him as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Okay, I don't know about you. I'm kind of confused here because did you just hear what Saul said in verse 6? Do you remember what he just said? As the Lord lived, he swore. As the Lord, he's swearing by the name of the Lord. As the Lord lives, David shall not be put to death. And a few verses later, he's hurling his spear at him. I mean, I'm not sure what Saul is doing sitting around with his spear in his hand in any way, but he is showing himself to be unbalanced, untrustworthy. And then when you throw harmful spirits into that, you, you've got a, a really bad cocktail here. And just to, to clarify, if you missed several weeks ago when we talked about chapter 6, we, we saw God sending this harmful spirit on Saul. What is that all about and, and we made the observation that sometimes God allows harmful spirits to operate on a leash for his greater purposes. We, we see it a number of times in Scripture. We see it with Job. 
see it with Peter, we see it with, with Judas, we see it here with Saul. The outcome of Saul's attempt on David's life here again is second half of verse 10, David fled and escaped that night. But Saul is not giving up. Verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. And Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? She, she might have said, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree, right? I mean, she's using deception. She's, she's using lies here. Um, but what we see here is two of Saul's children, Jonathan and Michael, who are working to protect David. And so Michael is arguably, I mean, she's using deceptive means here. She's using the conniving ways that are similar to her father. She puts this image in the bed. Verse 13 says she took an image and laid it on the bed. Maybe you have a footnote there in your Bible that says a household God. Every time this word shows up in the, the Hebrew Bible, it's talking about an idol that people would have in their homes. And so we should ask the question, what would Michael be doing with an idol like this in the house? And there's really no answer to that. And so I'm just gonna, this is complete speculation because scripture doesn't say this, but I'm just gonna say maybe Michael doesn't share the same devotion that David has to the true God, to, to Yahweh which would kind of make sense in light of the fact, in light of the home that she grew up in, in light of the kind of things that her father is demonstrating in his spiritual dullness. Whatever the case is with that, David escapes again. And so reading on in verse 18, now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. Naoth is a word that, that has to do with just a community. There's a community of prophets here, and Samuel is over them. David is running to Samuel. And I find this a really poignant point in, in the story, because as far as we know, David has not had any contact with Samuel since his anointing. So that was the first encounter that they had, and God made very clear to Samuel, this is the man that you're to anoint to be the next king. So as far as we know, there's no record of any other contact. Now David's running to Samuel, and uh, I think he probably does that for two reasons. One is he's, he's going for spiritual wisdom. He, he recognizes Samuel as a spiritual respected leader in, in Israel. And so David is not gonna make the same mistake that Saul has made. You know, we, we've said that when, when Saul is coming up against challenges, he, he calls for, for music 
And music's not a bad thing, but he's not calling for spiritual wisdom. He's not going for spiritual counsel. And so David's not going to make that same mistake. He's going to, to someone who can give him spiritual direction. The second reason, I think, that David would run to Samuel is because Samuel is David's human connection to God's call on his life. I mean, Samuel is the one that received God's word and and brought it to him. And I'm thinking if I'm David, I have some questions for Samuel at this point. I'm I'm wanting to say, uh, if God's hand, if this is God's will for my life, if God is calling me to be king, why am I experiencing all this opposition? Why am I experiencing all of these attacks? And I I can just imagine a, a conversation kind of a dramatic moment between Samuel and David. It's kind of like Gandalf, Frodo kind of moment where Samuel might have looked at David and just said, I am grieved by what I see happening too. And I, I really don't understand what, what's going on here, but, but I just want to reassure you, David, I've seen enough in my life to know that God is good that his plans will prevail. If he has called you to be king, then you will be king. And so I can imagine a moment of of reassurance there between them. David runs to Samuel, and it doesn't take Saul long to track him down. Verse 19, it was told Saul, behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, And Samuel, standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. All right, let's pause here for a second and clarify. Usually when we see prophecy in Scripture, it is talking about foretelling. It's usually talking about foretelling or forthtelling. So it's usually often talking about foretelling where it's foretelling the future, something that God is revealing is going to happen. Other times, prophecy has to do with forth-telling, which is speaking for God. It might not be predicting the future, but it's talking about something that God wants to emphasize to his people, a truth that God wants to make clear. On a couple of occasions, we have what's happening here where prophecy is kind of this, I'm going to use the phrase, spiritual seizure, Seizure, I think, is a good word here because the Spirit of God is coming on these people and basically taking them over so that they're prophesying and they're unable to carry out their evil plan. We, we see this at least one other place that I'll point out to you many, many years later when the prophet Elijah is having his confrontation on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal go first, calling on Baal to bring down fire on a sacrifice. And what's recorded is that as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering. That raved on right there is the, it's the word prophecy in, in Hebrew. So it's the same word and a, kind of a very different picture than we're used to. They were raving on, but there was no voice. So in this unusual way, the Saul's messengers are restrained by God's spirit from evil. And it happens again, verse 21. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. 
Then he, Saul himself, went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Siku, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah, and he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? That's a, that's a sad statement. If someone's surprised to see you among the people of God who are serving God, that's a sad commentary on Saul. Um, a clarification here when it uses the word naked, probably what it's referring to is not that he stripped off all of his clothes and he's stark naked, but that he took off his royal robes, what identified him as a king. So he was naked of his authority and of his dignity, which is very symbolic of where he is at spiritually. So all of this is a very unusual defense to protect David's life, but it works. So we've seen seven attacks on David's life. Let's, let's recount them really briefly here. In verse 1, Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to his servants that they should kill David. Verse 10, Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear. Verse 11, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. And then verse 20, Saul sent messengers to take David, and then he does that again and again and again and goes himself. So Saul, if nothing else, he's, he's persistent, but... He cannot outlast or overpower God. There's no attack that can succeed against God's defenses. And God uses a variety of defenses here. I mean, if you, if you notice, he uses human allies. So he uses Jonathan, he uses Michael, he uses Samuel. He uses circumstances. So Saul misses when he tries to attack with a spear. Apparently, he's not got very good aim. He's spending all of his time scheming how to get rid of David instead of doing target practice. Um, and in the end, he uses his, the spirit of God himself comes and intervenes. So as evil keeps ramping up and keeps persisting, God himself intervenes and restrains this, these, these plans to get rid of David. There is more going on here than meets our, our human eye. From a human perspective, this just looks like a paranoid man going after an innocent man. But in a heavenly perspective, the forces of evil are seeking to thwart God's plan. God's plan is to have David, who you might recall, is a man after his heart to be the king. Satan does not want people after God's heart, men or women after God's heart in places of leadership where they can influence other people. I mean, that's what David will do. David will lead the nation. I realize I'm giving this stuff away again, but David will lead the nation to worship the true God, to follow him, to be obedient. Satan doesn't want that, so he's trying to thwart God's plan. We, we see this behind the scenes, really clearly pointed out in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul writes, For we do not wrestle 
against flesh and blood. Let's pause there for a second, because when you and I face attacks in life, very often we're just focused on the other person who's coming after us. And Paul says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. They're not the enemy, but rather against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it's, it's challenging in Scripture. We don't get a really clear picture of what each one of those groups of evil are or look like or how they operate. But here's what's very sobering to me about this verse is that there are four groups of evil spiritual powers that are purposefully, intentionally coming after us when we align ourselves with God's purposes. That should be sobering to us. Therefore, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You and I do not have what it takes to stand against the forces of evil in our lives. We must put on the armor that God has provided for us, which is all about what Christ has done for us and made available to us. See, this is true in your situation. Whatever it is that you're up against, if it's a, if it's a person, a personal attack, or if it is uh, those circumstances that seem orchestrated, that the, that the enemy is orchestrating behind the scenes. You, you don't have what it takes to stand against that on your own. We, we must stand in the armor that God gives to us. There's more going on here that meets the eye. From an earthly perspective, we might look at David's escapes here and think, well, he, he got lucky. But actually, from a heavenly perspective, God is personally protecting his anointed one. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. No attack can succeed against God's defenses. All right, so... If God is the deliverer when David is under attack, if he's the deliverer when you and I are under attack, then what is our role? Is there any part that we play in this, or do we just sit back and just wait for God to do something? Well, we look to David as, as a model. When, when that person keeps coming after you, when those circumstances keep coming after you and pummeling you, here's what David didn't do first. David didn't complain, he didn't whine, he didn't badmouth his attacker. In fact, David did not say a word in all of chapter 19. Did you notice that? David never speaks in all of chapter 19. He doesn't verbally or physically try to defend himself. Here's what David models for us. Listen to the people who love you and look to the God who saves you. So listen to the people who love you. David listened to Jonathan. Jonathan gave him counsel. He gave him direction. He said, here's what I want you to do. He listened to Michael. Michael said, you need to get out now or you're not going to live to see the morning. David went and sought out counsel from, from Samuel. 
So we, we need to listen to people who love us when we're in the middle of stressful situations and, and being attacked by life or, or by people. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes we, we shut down when we're under stress and we don't listen really well. Sometimes we get really stubborn and we try to work things out our way. And so we do well to, to listen well. I... Over, over the years, I have learned that it's best if I listen to my wife when I am stressed because she sees things that I don't see. I'm, it's, I'm 26 years in. I'm still learning, learning this, but sometimes she sees things that I can't see, and so she, she says, here's what I really want to encourage you to do, and so for many years, I kind of sloughed that off, and oh, you don't know. This is me. I, this is what I need to do, and I'm learning to listen. Listen to people who love you. Listen. Seek out friends who love you, who want your best when you're under attack, and say, well, how should I handle this? What, what should I do? And then look to the God who saves you. We have a, a beautiful, deeply, really rich insight into how David did this in Psalm 59. If you would turn there with me, we'll end there this morning. It's on page 529 if you're using one of those Bibles. Psalm 59, if we read the byline there to the psalm, it says it's a mictum, which is a musical term, a mictum of David when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. So this was a song that, G, that David wrote in the midst of all of this attack, all of these attempts on his life. Before it all gets resolved, it, he's writing this in the midst of it. So listen to these first two verses and his desperate verbs, his desperate plea. Deliver me from my enemies, O oh my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. David is clearly running to the Lord and saying, God, I'm looking to you to save me. I mean, do you, do you catch the, the verbs there, the pleading verbs, deliver me? Protect me, deliver me, save me. He's looking, he's recognizing God is the one to rescue him. And then he tells God, he pours out his heart about the threat and the attacks that are facing him. Verse 3, for behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, our God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. Do you ever feel like that when you're being attacked? You're like, oh, they just keep coming back. The hits just keep coming back. Verse 7, there they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us? But you, O oh Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O oh my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will, look, will let me look in triumph on my enemies. So David's really clear about what's facing him. And then he's reaffirming. 
his faith and his trust in the Lord. Go down to verse 14. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs, prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. This is his affirmation. I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. And, and do you remember back in 1 Samuel 19, Saul sent the messengers to watch David's house at night so they could kill him in the morning. David says, nobody's killing me. I'm going to be singing of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Three times he says here, I sing. I, I will sing. It's good to sing when we are under attack. It's good to sing God's praises. It's good to sing about how powerful he is. It's good to reaffirm God's ability to be able to deliver us. If you are under attack today, listen to the people who love you. Look to the God who saves you. Because there is no attack that could succeed against God's defenses. The unjust attacks against David foreshadow the unjust attacks that will come to his descendant, Jesus, the Messiah. We, we read about it in Acts chapter 3 when Peter is confronting the religious leaders who put Jesus to death. He said, The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, an attack. When he had decided, when Pilate had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one, an attack and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, another attack, and you killed the author of life, the ultimate attack, whom God raised from the dead, the ultimate deliverance. Jesus endured those attacks and triumphed over them so that he can deliver us, and he, he proved to us that he is able to deliver us. So don't be surprised when someone attacks you, especially, especially if you are on mission with God in any area of your life. Don't be surprised when you get attacked, but don't be surprised when God comes through and delivers you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your ultimate power over evil. Jesus, we thank you that you triumphed over evil, over death, over sin, over the grave. And you, you hold all authority in your hands now. You are worthy, as we sang earlier. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our trust. And so, Lord, I pray for the person who's here this morning who's feeling under attack, either, either a personal attack from somebody that they could name or under the circumstances of life that just keep, seem like they're orchestrated to be bringing them down. Lord, I pray that they, that they and we all would follow the example of David to, to run to you, to, to listen to the people who love us, to seek counsel from, from them, and then listen uh, to, to what they say because they want our good. They have our good in mind. And then also to look to you, God, 
who are able to save us. Lord, may we put our faith in you, put our trust in you so that we can, can sing in the morning knowing that you deliver us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.